Back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Ozenchuk, and you can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. The, the draft is over. Been working tirelessly on the rookie guide over the past month. It is done. Well, now we're working on updating it for the draft, but the, the pre-draft one has been completed. We are back in podcast mode. We are here to talk about post-draft and what it means for a couple of these players. Number one player on the list is not a rookie that we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about Lamar Jackson because what the Ravens did in this offseason leads me to believe that Lamar Jackson breaking fantasy is coming back. We are going to see it again. We are going to see another 2019 MVP caliber season from Lamar Jackson. He is not being priced that way and he should be. Let's dive into it. Lamar Jackson is rumored to be a a poor passer. People think of Lamar Jackson as being unable to pass at the NFL level. Here's the thing. There is absolutely no evidence to that. Lamar Jackson is a low-volume passer that is entirely different than a bad passer. Bad passers are inefficient. Lamar Jackson is... I mean, he's not great, but he's not inefficient, that's for sure. When you look at things like his PFF passing grade, he comes in middle, almost every metric that we look at, he comes in middle of the pack because that's what he is. He's a league average passer with break fantasy potential on the ground. So his PFF passing grade, 16th in the NFL, completely average. When you look at things like his air yards per attempt, according to playerprofiler.com, and his accuracy rating, according to playerprofiler.com, his accuracy rating isn't very good. It's 7.1. That's number 28 in the NFL. And you're thinking, well, I think you just told me he was a pretty good passer. Here's the thing. You need to adjust for, for the the depth of the pass. If the pass, if the quarterback is only passing it in and around the line of scrimmage, it should be pretty friggin' easy to, to be a, an accurate passer at that depth. Lamar Jackson is not that guy. He is chucking the ball down the field. He had 8.6 air yards per attempt, number four in the NFL. So what I suspect what's happening here is that he's being punished in accuracy rating for throwing the ball down the football field. Luckily for us, there is another website that we can use that tells us if this is true. RBSDM.com has a fantastic website and they look at a lot of interesting metrics in regards to quarterbacks. One of them is CPOE, that's completion percentage over expected. So they are essentially depth adjusting the completion percentage to see if these players are completing passes at a rate similar to their peers based on the depth of the target. So they're controlling for that phenomenon. Lamar Jackson comes in, you may guess, number 16 in the NFL, because of course he does. He's a league average passer. He has a 1.3 CPOE. He's league average. As we know, he has been league average since he entered the NFL. He's never been a bad passer. He's been a league average passer. He just doesn't get the volume. Fantasy points per game for Lamar Jackson last season were 22.7, number seven in the NFL. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Here's the thing. Baltimore passed the ball 25.9 times per game. That is one of the lowest we've ever seen, to be perfectly frank. That is a really, really low total for pass attempts. They were number 32 by uh, a little over almost two, two attempts per game. New England was at 27.5. Tennessee was at 30th with 30.1. That's usually where we see the bottom team is in and around that 30 attempts per game spot. That's league bottom. Baltimore is in the cellar of the bottom. It's like they were really, really bad. But in 2019, Baltimore passed the ball 29.4 times per game. That is when Lamar Jackson Jackson set the world on fire, won the MVP, 
and destroyed fantasy football. Absolutely destroyed it. So why didn't they pass last year? I My assumption here is that, you know, they maybe had a bad year, but they also had Hollywood Brown as the leading receiver with 769 yards. Hollywood Brown is not a leading receiver. He is the ultimate beta. He's like 167 pounds. Anybody who comes to the NFL 167 pounds, it's probably not somebody that I'm interested in drafting, especially if they're in the 2021 class and they're getting drafted super early. Then I'm really not interested in it. But Hollywood Brown isn't an alpha. That's the point here. Lamar Jackson doesn't have a go-to receiver that he can just chuck the ball up to and expect him to make plays. Marquis Brown is a burner. He, he He's very good at what he does, but what he does isn't make plays out of nothing. Mark Andrews is a very good tight end. Mark Andrews had 701 yards. He was the second leading receiver on the team. Mark Andrews is not a Travis Kelsey. He should not be this, this, like, he shouldn't be in this position. Mark Andrews is a very nice tight end. He should probably be a quality number three option in the passing attack, or maybe a number two option to a true alpha, not a field stretcher. And then we have Willie Sneed, who's, you know, well, you don't need to tell me who Willie Sneed is. You don't need me to tell you who Willie Sneed is. Then we have Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin had 266 yards as a sophomore. Oh my goodness. Remember when there was buy low articles on Miles Boykin? <laughs> Hilarious. Remember when people think that you should always chase uh, athleticism and size at the wide receiver position because of DK Metcalf? Except Miles Boykin is that, and he sucks. So anyways, uh, Devin Nunez was next. He had 201 receiving yards. And then we have the running backs, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Nick Boyle, or Nick Boyle's tight end, but you get the idea. Then we have Mark Ingram. Basically, they don't have good wide receivers. Personnel dictates usage. And if you don't have players that can make plays, you don't throw the football. I cannot blame the Baltimore Ravens coaching staff for not airing it out with this kind of personnel. So let's talk about what the Ravens did in the offseason, which is what is giving me this optimism that we are going to see a return to glory from Lamar Jackson. Well, in free agency, they went in, went out and signed Sammy Watkins, who may or may not be very good at football. It's hard to know. He's probably fine. He's probably better than Miles Boykin. I can tell you that much. And I would say that's a step in the right direction. He, he's certainly no alpha, though. So let's not get carried away on that one. But they signed uh, Sammy Watkins. They drafted in the first round of the NFL draft Rashad Bateman, who we're going to talk about next. And they drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft Talon Wallace, who I believe only fell to the fourth round because he and his brother have about a handful of ACL tears in their young lives. So he's a bit of an injury risk, but he's a good player. We know he's a good player because he produced basically every time he touched the field. So he's very good at football. The Ravens added three quality pass catchers, maybe not superstars, but quality pass catchers, one of which being first-round pick Rashad Bateman, who we very much like, just not as much as we used to. Anyways, so I think that we could see a return to glory for the Baltimore Ravens passing attack. I don't think that's out of the range of outcomes. So let's do a projection here. Lamar Jackson has averaged 7.5 yards per attempt throughout his career. What if they can just get to a league worst offense? What if they're not in the basement of the league worst offenses? What if they're actually at league worst? So let's pretend for a moment that they get back to their 2019 level of roughly 30 attempts per game. 30 attempts per game times 7.5 yards per attempt is 225 yards per game. That would be the best mark of his entire career. And let's not forget that he completely broke fantasy two years ago with not 225 yards per game. (laughs) In 2020, he only had 183 yards per game. So this would represent a 42 yards per game difference, which would be 1.68 points per game just from passing yardage. 1.68... 
just to get to league bottom. 1.68 points per game just if they get back to league bottom. We are not projecting anything crazy. We're just projecting what they did in 2019 based off the personnel moves that they made in the offseason, which indicates to me they probably want to pass the ball. And then it's TD volume. We're going to get some TDs out of this as well, right? They're going to pass more, so they're going to have more touchdowns, presumably more more passing touchdowns. So his career average is 7.2% for his 7.2% touchdown rate for his career. 7.2% times 30 attempts per game times 16 games is 35 touchdowns, roughly 2.2 per game. Last year, he had 1.7 per game. That is 8.5 touchdowns more per game, which is another three fantasy points per game. (laughs) You can see where I'm going here, right? We have three fantasy points per game increase plus 1.6 fantasy points per game increase. That's 4.68 fantasy points per game increase on the number seven running back in the NFL last year. Now, obviously this doesn't work this simple. This isn't how I do actually do projections. We're not quite to that stage of the offseason yet, but this is just a high level projection to give you an idea of what we're talking about when it comes to the range of outcomes for one Lamar Jackson. We are talking, what's going to happen here is that we're going to get our rushing probably knocked down a little bit, but we're probably going to get more plays overall because we know in the Baltimore Ravens, I can assure you know that pass volume is more efficient. If they are passing the football, they will run more plays because they will extend more drives. So it's not completely out of the range of outcomes. Then Lamar Jackson returns to his perch as the quarterback one in fantasy football in 2021 and i'm here for all of it so as you know the rookie guide came out last week it's getting updated after the draft it's going to be out the the revised version is coming probably next week and one of the players we're going to talk about is one of the featured players in the guide obviously rashad bateman rashadi b So what we're looking at with Sean Bateman is he is basically a perfect prospect, or we thought he was anyways. He is a age 21 rookie, early declared. That's what we're looking for. He broke out at 18.8 while playing alongside a future NFLer in Tyler Johnson. That's what we want. He dominated every single year he was in college, whether it was market share receiving yards, whether it was yards per team pass attempt. It didn't matter. He checked all the boxes. We thought we were getting a bona fide stud. I Early in the draft process, I was saying, hey, you know what? It's okay if you don't get Jamar Chase because you can just get Rashad Bateman later. That, that was what I was saying. That's what I literally said out loud to people. That was my advice. It was completely wrong because when we got to the pro day, <laughs> Rashad Bateman's pro day, everything changed. We were bamboozled. Insert this Stephen A. Smith gif. We have been flat out deceived. Rashad Bateman was supposed to be 6'2", 210 pounds of alpha male. That was what we were expecting. That is what we were going to get bullying cornerbacks at every level of the football field. And instead, we ended up getting Rashad Bateman, which is disappointing. It's not, it's not the end of the world. It's just disappointing. We thought we were getting a Devontae Adams. We thought we were getting a DeAndre Hopkins. That's the level of prospect we thought we were getting. Not those guys as NFLers, but those guys as prospects, which meant that he could become that as an NFLer. Instead, we got six foot, 190 pounds. It was so depressing. It, it was like the world came crashing down on our hopes and dreams and dynasty rookie drafts. Basically what this does, this size, it changes them from an alpha to a beta. And when we do that, 
it changes his career outlook. He goes from potentially being a perennial wide receiver one to potentially being a perennial wide receiver two. As you know, in fantasy football, wide receiver twos don't really matter all that much. You can buy a wide receiver three for less and they will give you like 90% of what wide receiver two does. They don't matter that much. We need top five alpha wide receivers. That's what we need. We need guys that break fantasy. Rashad Bateman probably isn't going to be that as a prospect. What was nice though is he did have a nice RAS score. Like he had an 805 relative athletic score, which uses like a combination of their size, explosion, speed, agility, size adjusted, and gives us a RAS score. He had an 805. That was a lot better than I was expecting. I thought he was going to be a mediocre athlete. Like, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, he was better than that. Athleticism doesn't really matter, but I would prefer the more athletic guy than the less athletic guy is maybe the way to put it. Anyways, with the change in weight, we still have, Rashad Bateman is still bulletproof. Don't get me wrong. Size doesn't matter from a floor perspective. Small guys still hit at the same rate the big guys do. Their wide receiver two hit rate is identical pretty much across the board. Where we see the change is when we're talking about wide receiver ones, when we're talking about the fantasy breakers, the alphas, the guys that win you fantasy leagues. That's where things change. That's where we start to get excited. And that's not what we get when we're shot Bateman anymore. That's like I said, we got Hopkins and Adams and we took them right off the list because that's not what size he is. Now he's six foot 190. When we look at players that are six foot 190, we don't really get all that inspired. We're looking at Calvin Ridley, Emmanuel Sanders, Tyler Boyd, Kevin Curtis, Jerry Judy, AJ Jenkins, Marquis Lee, and Rashad Bateman. That's everyone from the coin flip tier and the bulletproof tier. The only bulletproof wide receiver on that list is Tyler Boyd and Rashad Bateman. There are no comps for Rashad Bateman. None. In his size range and his profile, there aren't any. It's peculiar. Anyways, when we look at this, out of all of those players, we have two top 12 finishes. Two in the entire list. Two of them. Two two top 12 seasons. Pardon me, not finishes. Well, I mean finishes as well, but only two seasons across the board. You don't get high production, like crazy high production out of players this size. Now, all that being said, there is reason to believe that Rashad Bateman is in fact not normally 190 pounds. There is reason to believe that he is actually normally 195 pounds because that's what he said he was. Apparently, Rashad Bateman caught COVID. There's a pandemic going around. You may have heard of it. That caused him to lose a lot of weight. He played the season at a much lower weight than he normally does. He normally plays around 195 to 198 pounds. I made the assumption that he was probably exaggerating a little bit. So I went with 195 and I put his comps back into the system. And here are the players that it spit out. Jeremy Macklin, Emmanuel Sanders, Nelson Aguilar, Santonio Holmes, Troy Williamson, Marquis Lee, Marcus Wheaton, Rashad Bateman. Those are all players drafted rounds one to three. The only other bulletproof player on the list other than Rashad Bateman is Jeremy Macklin, who did in fact have two top 12 seasons. That's pretty good. Two top 12 seasons is a really, really good career for most players. If Rashad Bateman has two top 12 seasons, I personally would be thrilled. Now, again, these are mostly coin flips, so they are not really comparable to Rashad Bateman. The only two players on either of these lists that are also bulletproof are Tyler Boyd and Jeremy Macklin. So if we think that that's what we're getting out of Rashad Bateman, we're probably getting a wide receiver two that maybe has a spike wide receiver one season here or there. If things go well, this is, of course, talking about the player, not the landing spot. This is just purely based on the player. So when we go down now, there's another way that we can look at this. We can just look at straight up bulletproof betas because that's what he is and when we look at wide receivers that are bulletproof betas we get a list that's still pretty good it's not bad it's just not elite we get deshaun jackson 
Randall Cobb, Tyler Boyd, CeeDee Lamb, Sidney Rice, KJ Hamler, and Christian Kirk. The only two players that have not hit on that list are KJ Hamler and Christian Kirk. Everyone else on that list hit a top 24 season. Rashawn Bateman is probably going to hit a top 24 season at some point in his career. Unfortunately, only Deshaun Jackson and Randall Cobb have ever hit a top 12 season on this list. It's just not that common. It's just really not that common. That's where the problem comes from. And Deshaun Jackson hit top 12 twice. Randall Cobb did it once. Randall Cobb, you may remember, played with a guy named Aaron Rodgers at the peak of his powers. Randall Cobb only having one top 12 season while playing with Aaron Rodgers, while Aaron Rodgers was the best quarterback in the maybe history of the NFL, is kind of disappointing. It's kind of disappointing. We just talked about Lamar Jackson. We know that Lamar Jackson is not Aaron Rodgers. So I'm not sure there's going to be a wide receiver one season in Rashad Bateman's future. But the hit rate is high. These players find a way to produce. Now, like we just talked about with... Lamar Jackson, he is not a bad passer. He is merely a low volume passer. We talked about what would happen if Lamar Jackson got up to 30 attempts per game. If he was league bottom in attempts per game rather than like staring up at the league bottom teams from you know the the Grand Canyon we're talking about if he was league bottom which I think is probably going to be the case this year because they loaded up at the wide receiver position a position they were sorely lacking so if Lamar Jackson gets to 300 attempts and we give Rashad Bateman an alpha workload of 25% which I actually think isn't that unreasonable given that he is right on the fringe of the size range he's not far off from Odell Beckham Jr. He doesn't hit Odell Beckham Jr.'s comp list. He's just a little bit, a little bit too light, but he's really close to, to Odell Beckham Jr.'s comp list. So it, it, like it's possible. I'm, I, I will put it that way. Anyways, if we give him a 25% target share on 300 attempts, that's going to come out to 7.5 attempts or 7.5 targets per game over the course of 16 games is 120 targets. Do you know what kind of players get 120 targets? Guys like AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. This isn't a death sentence. A lot of people, I believe, are going to be fading Rashad Bateman based on this landing spot, and it's not that bad. It's not great, don't get me wrong. We are we are definitely throttling things down a little bit for Rashad Bateman's career outlook, but we are not writing him off entirely. Maybe that's the best way to put it. He's probably going to hit. He's just probably not going to smash. So he goes from like that, you know, it's okay if you don't get Jamar Chase to... Ah, you should really try to get Jamar Chase. But if you can't, you should still take Rashad Bateman. So we are going into DeAndre Swift today because DeAndre Swift is, his potential is immense. And we need to go into why that is. There was a poll last week that said, which of the 2020 running backs is most likely to finish as RB1? And I had said DeAndre Swift. Obviously, it was so clear to me that it was DeAndre Swift, and I was absolutely bombarded with messages about how it's clearly Jonathan Taylor or, or Cam Akers or or J.K. Dobbins or Clyde Hilaire. And I was like, what? It's like it, it is obviously DeAndre Swift. So we're gonna talk about why it's obviously DeAndre Swift, and let's begin with his prospect profile because that is really where this all starts. DeAndre Swift is a bulletproof prospect. He checks a lot of the boxes that I'm looking for. First off, he's a 21-year-old early declare. That isn't as big of a deal for the running back position as it is for, say, wide receiver or tight end, but it's still something that I look for. One of the big things that I I use for... How do I wear this? One of the big, one of the most impactful inputs that I have in my process for running backs is NFL.com grades. NFL.com grades 
have been around since 2014. And DeAndre Swift in his draft year was the number one running back according to NFL.com grades, which are put together their film grades from Lancer Line. They're very, very good. They out hit draft capital. I cannot say this enough. It is more important to hit a high NFL.com grade than it is to be drafted in the first round. That's wild, right? Maybe that's a bit too much to say, but it is more... Imp- uh, it out hits. I, that's all I got for you. It just out hits draft capital. That's what I'm trying to say. So anyway, DeAndre Swift had a 6.78 NFL.com grade. Here are some notables. It's, it is it is the best NFL.com grade since Saquon Barkley with a generational 7.45 NFL.com grade. Swift was 6.78. Some other notables, the 2019 RB1, according to NFL.com grades, was Josh Jacobs with a 6.70. And then the 2021 RB1 is Travis Etienne with a 6.7. Remember, Swift was 6.78. And I know a lot of y'all really like your Jonathan Taylor. His was a highly unremarkable 6.41. He wasn't as good on film as you would expect. And that's fine. He's still a good player. He was still bulletproof. DeAndre Swift is bulletproof for different reasons. So as a part-time player at Georgia, DeAndre Swift was able to hit my receiving thresholds, which are absurdly hard to hit. There are not many players that hit them. Among the bulletproof prospects... These are the players that also hit my receiving thresholds. LaShawn McCoy, Matt Forte, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Sean Marino, Reggie Bush, Joe Mixon, Steve Slayton, Giovanni Bernard, Richard Mendenhall, and DeAndre Swift. This list is incredible. This is one of the highest hitting, like the hardest hitting lists that I can put together from all of the metrics that I look at. DeAndre Swift compares very, very favorably to Alvin Kamara. That is his closest comp coming out of college. He's a little smaller, but he had the same kind of like low dominator, but high receiving kind of thing going on. It was, it was an eerily similar comp overall, not from a size perspective. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is that you need to be getting DeAndre Swift on your team. There's a The Detroit Lions is where he plays football. Obviously, they took him in the beginning of the second round in 2020. And as a rookie, as a part-time rookie in that offense, he was on a 70-target pace. That's really high. And I don't think that's coming down because A, he's going to be on the field more often because he's going into his sophomore year and he's really good at football, which means he's going to play a lot. And B... This is the depth chart for the Detroit Lions. Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perriman, Amon Ross St. Brown, Quintess Cephas. There is nobody on this list that should be hogging any of the targets. This is a list where they're just everybody's going to get their share and it's going to be fine. <laughs> There's no alpha here. Just a bunch of dudes. Just a bunch of jags, to be honest. And Amon Ross St. Brown is a really impressive prospect right up until the second that he felt around for the NFL draft. Then he's a day three pick and things get a little bit very sketchy from there. So the Detroit Lions, they were 13th in run blocking according to pro, uh, pro football focus. That's really good. Or that's mediocre. The upper side of mediocre. They just added a monster left tackle in Panay Suel to anchor the line. I do not do offensive line evaluations. I don't know the first thing about it, but I can tell you that pretty much everyone was saying Panay Suel is a top tier prospect. Adding him to the 13th run blocking unit in the NFL should lead to an offensive line that could be top of the league. And on top of that, we have all kinds of narratives that are going to do nothing, but they help. <laughs> they help sell the story. They don't really matter, but they might matter. We don't really know. They're narratives. They're unproven. That's the problem with narratives. You can't prove narratives, but there are some that that are kind of appealing here. So the head coach famously went on a rant 
in his introductory press conference about biting kneecaps just to show off how old school football guy he is. Which means we should probably see a lot of rushing because an old school football guy is probably going to run an archaic offense. Which means we're going to get a lot of rushing. And beyond that, we have ties to the Orleans Saints and how they used Alvin Kamara. Which means that when they do pass, they might feature the running back. Which would be really nice because that's what DeAndre Swift does really well. And then his backups are exactly who you want to have as backups. They're the extremely unthreatening duo of Kerryon Johnson and Jamal Williams. Neither of these guys pose any threat whatsoever to DeAndre Swift's workload. They are depth pieces that are there in case DeAndre Swift gets hurt. Nothing more. That's all they are. I'm sorry, Jamal Williams truthers. Anyways, this all reminds me so much. It reminds me so, it's like deja vu of the Christian McCaffrey parallel when McCaffrey was coming out of his rookie year. I remember distinctly drafting drafting Christian McCaffrey in the second round of the Scott Fishbowl in 2018 and being questioned by the masses about why I would take a, a receiving back so high. In the second round, my response was, well, what if he's not just a receiving back? We already know he has an RB2 floor. He's a fringe RB1 based on receiving alone. What if he's more than that? We don't know yet. He's only played one year in the NFL. He rushed a hell of a lot in college. He was pretty good at it. DeAndre Swift was pretty good at rushing in college. He smashed yards created and also, or he didn't smash, but he hit the thresholds in yards created. He hit the thresholds and missed tackles forced per attempt. He did everything that you could ask on the ground. And he is one of the best receiving prospects at the running back position that has a three down skill set we have seen in quite some time. Things are setting up very nicely for a DeAndre Swift smash spot in 2021. And I want in on the ground floor. (laughs) 